Let's pour out our praise to God in heaven. He's great. Amen. Pour out his praise. Amen. You may be seated. Our God is great, and he has invited us to join him on his mission. Last week, we talked about the reality that Jesus has given us this mission to go into all the world to be his witnesses. But really, that's God's mission that he has invited us to join him on, that we would share hope with the world that is hopeless. It doesn't take very long to realize that our world doesn't have uh, really any true hope today without the good news of Jesus, and we get to be the witnesses to that good news so that people would be saved through Christ, that they would know the truth that Jesus died on the cross and rose victorious, conquering sin and death, and, and now it, it reigns in heaven, is waiting to return to claim his church, and our mission is to bring more people to that salvation point through Jesus. It's a miracle that we can be a part of that mission. Uh, I, I want you to understand salvation a little bit more clearly. It, it, this helped me this week. I came across this quote from Steve Lawson, a pastor, and here's what he said about salvation. This is what we get to share. Salvation is not making a good person better, nor making a sick person well. Salvation is making a dead person alive in Christ. When we encounter people of the world and they're lost and they have no hope, they're caught in sin, we have been invited by God to share that salvation truth that they are once dead, but now they're alive, making people alive in Christ. Jesus, in his own words, invited us into that. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to be in Acts 1 all day. We're going to be re-looking at this great commission. If you've got a Bible around you in the pew or in the wing, it's probably on page 909. But these first, this first truth of, of Jesus inviting us on this mission is found in chapter 1, verse 8. Here's what the Word of God says. Jesus declares, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. You, you get to be a part of this plan that share the good news in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We get to share the good news of Jesus with the world starting right here where you live, uh, to the ends of the earth. But how do you do that? How do normal people like you and I, ordinary people, that come from places like Greenville or Grant Fork, or we're from Little Bond County or maybe Beaver Creek, how do we, ordinary people, witness of Christ to the world? Now, here's the first thing. We talked about this today. It would be the desire in, in, in the, of our hearts that, that we would make him known that his last command would really become our first priority. That what Jesus said right before he went into heaven, right before he ascended, to go and be my witnesses would be our, really our focus. It became the heart's desire of Isaiah, even of the Old Testament. Before Jesus was born, we're going to see here in today's text that his heart's desire was to make Jesus famous. And that's the question we're asking. How do we do this? Well, first, it has to become our desire. Look what Isaiah says in Isaiah 26, 8. He says, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desires of our hearts. Isaiah is declaring this hundreds of years before Jesus is born. He says, we're, we're walking in your ways, the ways of your law. He says, we're trying to do what your word says, the very best, but we're waiting on you. And when you work, we're going to make you famous. Uh, look what it says in the NIRV. That first translation was the NIV. The NIRV is simply the New International 
Reader's Version. It's a different version of the Bible, same truth. Reader stands for young readers. It's about third grade level, and I find that that often helps me as your pastor. Okay? So look what it says here. Lord, we are living the way your laws command. He's saying we're, we're walking in your word. We're letting the word win as we live, and we're waiting for you to act. Remember, this is Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus is born. He's looking for the Messiah, and he says, we want your honor and fame to be known. He's saying, Lord, when, when you send the Messiah and, and you act, and we know your word says he's coming, our, our desire, what, what our heart wants is for you and what you've done to be honored and to be known and for you to be famous. And it has to be the desire of our hearts. We're wanting you to, 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 to be the, the premier of everything, the priority. So how do you make Jesus famous it, when it's your desire? How do you make him to be honored? Mark Moore would suggest this week in our chapter that you start with your place of influence. If you're at GU, start in your class at GU or your, your roommate. If you are working at McDonald's, start with who, who you work by the register next to. If you're working on the farm right now, start with the guy who brings you seed. If you are in a family, start with the person that eats supper across from the table. Start with your place of influence. And then go to your neighbor across the street. And make him famous with people all around the world. Absolutely everywhere you go. But man, that seems hard. It almost seems impossible. Because Jesus is already so famous. Let's be honest. I, he's the most famous person there is and there ever will be. But we're to continue to promote him, to honor him, to, to share him with others. And you do that with your influence. But if he is this famous and our influence is relatively small, how do we do that? It can seem impossible. But it was, wasn't for the apostles, and they were a lot like us. Think about the first 11 apostles after Jesus had been crucified and was risen, and there's 11 of them left. Those guys that traveled with Jesus for three years who were close to Jesus, they were ordinary guys, many of them fishermen. Most of them had little education formally. None of them uh, had seminary degrees. Oh, sure, there was one doctor, but, but no theologian. They had little money. They had less prestige and almost no political pool. And I can identify with almost all of those things. Okay, they were, they were like you and I. They were ordinary guys. We can relate to that. And yet they accomplished tremendous things. But how? How did those first apostles do so much to make Jesus famous? I think the key to how we're to do this is in the text. We've got to go back to the word. Look with me to Acts chapter 1, starting with verse 1. So when we look at the, when you open your Bibles up, uh, Acts, in my Bible here, it says Acts of the Apostles. And, and this could be misleading. That title in our Bibles was given by uh, translators. It wasn't in the original text. And we're going to see here Luke saying, hey, this is not, we're not studying this to, to know what the apostles did. We're still studying this to know what Jesus is doing Look at this text. It says this. In the first book, o, o Theopolis, this is Luke talking about himself. Luke is the one who wrote this, this book of Acts. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. He says, I wrote the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, and it was all of what Jesus began to do until the day when he was taken up and he, until he ascended into heaven. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive, risen to them after suffering by many proofs. He presented them alive after the crucifixion, 
appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So reading between the lines, here's what I want you to know what Luke's saying. He says, I wrote my first book, The Gospel of Luke, about all Jesus began to do. He says, now I'm writing this next book that we know as Acts, not about what the apostles did, but again what Jesus is doing. And we see this evidence in Scripture. See, the story of Acts continues of what Christ is doing, not in the physical body, but in his new body. Have you ever heard about the body of Christ? Not, not on the cross, but the body of Christ now. You know who that is? It's you. As believers of Jesus, as those who have been born again in baptism and been buried with him to death and, and been changed and raised to new life, uh, the Bible says we are now the new body of Christ, the, the body of Christ alive in this world. We are the presence of God in this world through in Jesus. If we're going to make Jesus famous, we've got to remember and recognize we are his presence in the world. Luke is saying, I wrote the first book about what Jesus did. Now I'm writing the second book about Jesus that we know as Acts, about what Jesus is doing in the church. The church is the body of Christ. We are it. Uh, Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 12. All of you, look at that, 1 Corinthians 12, all of you together are the body of Christ. Kirk uh, prayed about it. We all have these different hearts. We're all different parts. He says, you're, you're all a part of this body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God appointed for the church. And then I just listed one. First, the apostles. The first parts of the body were the apostles, the original disciples. He says they're the first. And then even into today, you are parts of that body. Some of you may be a fingernail. Some of you may uh, be a foot. Some of you may be a heart, uh, the body of Christ. We all have different functions. And you're like, how is this possible? It seems hard to understand. Paul explains that. He says it is. In Colossians chapter 1, he says this mystery. What I'm sharing with you today is not something you can touch, not something you can build, We're talking about something that is spiritual and it is mysterious. This reality that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. If you've never heard it before, don't don't give up here yet. Uh, We are Christ's presence in the world today. And I I say that not to freak you out, but to give you an encouragement that your faith matters now. If, If Christ is to be made much of, if he's to be glorified, it primarily flows from the word acted out in us, his believers. We are the hope for the world. Be encouraged by that. Know exactly who you are. You're a part of the body of Christ. Be encouraged by we as a whole are are Christ uh, living out in today's world. Don't lose sight of this. This church, First Christian Church that gathers here, and all churches around the world that claim Christ crucified, risen, and coming again are the body of Christ in the world today. And that, that number's growing. Be encouraged by that. And when we live, when we understand the the reality that we are the body of Christ in his presence today, it should change how we live. It should change how we see ourselves and see each other. It should change the way we encourage each other, the way we build each other up, the way we uh, train each other, the way we um, sometimes correct each other. Sometimes the way we pray for each other. It should really change how we live when we understand we're the presence of Christ today. Paul puts it this way. In Galatians 2, he says, I have been crucified with Christ and no longer live. He says, I'm changed. 
but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. When you have been crucified with Christ and your life has been changed, now Christ lives in you. He lives in us. And by our lives, he is glorified. I wonder if we live like that. Sometimes I need a reminder of just who I am. This goes back about 20 years now. Um, This reminder I, I received from this little girl. Tiffany and I had just finished doing our first vacation Bible school in over decades in in the region where we served in Kankakee County. They just had stopped doing vacation Bible school, and and we brought it back, and and it was a blessing. Uh, One one of the coolest things was there were children in the community, even though we live in the middle, uh, the Midwest, that never really heard about Jesus, these four, five, and six-year-olds. On the third day of VBS that week, I got to portray Jesus. I got to dress up like him. Um, I even had like the, the flesh wounds in my wrist signifying that I was hung on the cross. Um, I was, uh, wasn't blood anymore, but there was evidence they were looking at me as the risen Savior before I ascended into heaven. The text we're in today. And I got to, to speak to the, the little boys and girls about the love that Jesus has for them and how I died for them and, and I've risen and, and there'll be a day I'm coming, coming again. And, and I was sharing them the truth about the good news. It was a beautiful thing. They, they were captivated by this portrayal. Tiffany and I, about two weeks later, we were at Walmart. Remember when Walmart had checkout counters where you could actually get receive, uh, people could check you out? Remember? We were at one of these things, and this person was checking us out. I was checking out the tabloids, and, and maybe the snack I was going to get, and Tiffany's like, stay in focus, we're checking out, okay? All of a sudden, a, a girl not much different than this little girl, probably five years old, was speaking behind me. I didn't really see her. She had seen me, and uh, she says, Mom, Mom, there he is. I was like, I wonder, who's, wonder who she is. And, and she goes, Mom, Mom, that's Jesus. And, and so I'm still looking forward. I'm like, who, what's going on here? And the voice gets a little louder, gets closer. She's like, that's Jesus, mom. That's Jesus. I know that's Jesus. And, and I turn around to address them and she's looking right at me. She's like, there he is. It's Jesus. And I address the mom. I said, hi, mom. I, I am Tyson. Um, I portrayed Jesus last week at vacation Bible school and your daughter evidently was there. It's nice to meet you. And, and we were introduced. I, I didn't re- know the family, but it was a great wake up call for me. that I need to look like Jesus, not from vacation Bible school, but but be the hands and feet, be the love, be the forgiveness, be the the warmth, be the encouragement of, of Christ on earth now to be his presence. I wonder how often you look like Jesus. Not physically, not with the the flesh wounds in your wrist, but how often do you crucify yourself and do the things that Jesus would do for the sake of loving someone else to the point they know the good news of Jesus? How often don't we look like Jesus? Very few times have someone honestly declared, hey, I see Jesus in you, but it, but it should be like that often, that, that people, when they look at us, see Jesus. The Christian life needs to be lived out because we are the presence of Christ today in this world. Now hear this, see if you get this. The Christian life, living like Jesus, is not difficult. The Christian life, living like Jesus, is not difficult. It's impossible on our own. It is. If I choose today uh, to dress like, uh, like Jesus and go around showing my flesh wounds and, and, and uh, trying to speak what Jesus did on my own power, on my own uh, 
uh, drama ability, I will fail and it will seem really weird and superficial. Let me say this again this way. If I try to imitate Jesus on my own strength, my own ability, my own knowledge, it will come across superficial every time. But when I submit to Christ and I say, Christ, I know you're in me and I want to be obedient to you. I want to follow you and I want to do as you lead me. I want to be your hands and feet. Something at at times becomes supernatural and we bring glory to Jesus. We have to understand that we can't do it on our own physical strength. We can't do it on our own knowledge. We need to understand that, that God has invited us into his mission and we can make much of Jesus and make him famous as we realize we are his presence in the world. You might say, well, I've tried it and I failed. More times than not, if I have tried it on my own, I do fail. But what would it look like in Greenville and Bond County and beyond if we really lived like Jesus, knowing that we were his presence? You say, but I've tried to just keep messing up. Uh, this pastor uh, quote uh, came to me this week, and it really struck me. At all. It says this, I can't, but he never said I could. He can, and always said he would. And that promises that he would be with us. We must recognize that we are his presence in the world, working in us, promising that he'll never leave us, never forsake us. But how does this work? Because Jesus ascended into heaven is true. Look at verse 9 of chapter 1. It's the account of the ascension. So Jesus has been crucified. He's risen. He's appeared for 40 days in the flesh. Fully God, fully human still. And look at verse 9. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And when they were gazing into the heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. These are angels. And said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Can you imagine this moment? The, the scripture says he was speaking, and all of a sudden, he, as they were gazing on him, he, he just kind of went up to heaven, kind of surrounded by a cloud, and he was gone. Uh, these couple hundred people uh, are watching. The, these people are seeing all this happen, and they're amazed. I think they're kind of just stunned in the moment. Get this, over to the side, maybe slightly in the background, two angels are like, yoo-hoo, over here. Why are you gazing up into heaven? Focus, focus. Uh, He's going to return the same way he came, and you know exactly what you're to do. He just gave you uh, your commands. His last command should be your first priority. Stop just looking and get busy. If we're going to make Jesus famous, we have to realize we are now his presence because he is gone, and he's coming again. Make Jesus famous not only by realizing that we are his presence, but relying on the power of his Holy Spirit. Here's the only next real point, that that we, when we're his presence, we can't do it on our own, so we must rely on the power of his Holy Spirit, because he's not here. Look at verse 4 again, the same chapter. we got to go backwards before we can go forwards for just a moment. And while they were staying with him, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. He says, so the Holy Spirit's about ready to come. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, 
Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Pause right here for a second. The Holy Spirit's about ready to come. He says, hey, whatever you do, don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes. And now they want to start talking these theological uh, life event, uh, end of time stuff. Is now the time that, that God's going to fill everything? Look what he says. It is not for you to know these times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He wants them to focus. Hey, I just said the Holy Spirit's about to come. Uh, wait for it. And by the way, as you get lose track of things, wait on the Holy Spirit because he is going to allow you to be my witnesses wherever you go. Rely on this promise. I wonder if we do that. Or to rely on tradition. Sometimes do we rely on, rely on knowing the right things to say? Look what Jesus said in Luke. The same author records this from Luke 24. Jesus says to them, And I will send the Holy Spirit, just as the Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Spirit, Holy Spirit comes up and fills you with power from heaven. He says he's going to fill you with power, and then you're going to go to the entire world. Uh, this power is going to fall on the entire church. This Holy Spirit power is a promise to every believer. We talked about this last week. When we're baptized, there's two promises, the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Spirit. It's going to come, and it's going to allow us to be a witness everywhere. Real quickly, I want to remind you of your influence. It's in the text. Your first place of influence is often your Jerusalem. This is the hometown you grew up in. This is the place where you were uh, most normally uh, involved. Your Jerusalem is right where you need to start. Your Judea is the region or country you live in. Go ahead to that next slide, guys. And then uh, Samaria is often the, the nation you might live in. And then everyone who has the Holy Spirit is commanded to take Jesus' name everywhere they go to the ends of the earth. It's an empowerment that we have. And be encouraged by this. Nothing is going to hold the, the church back from growing in these ways. If the Holy Spirit is working in us, you're going to have influence right where you live to an expanded region all the way to the ends of the earth. We live in a time where the church is still growing, but sometimes we get confused the world we live in and we think the world is winning but here's the truth, it won't. The gift of the Holy Spirit within the church will prevail against anything and everything that this world and time presents. The church will not be overcome. It will not stop growing. The Word of God speaks this truth, that the gates of hell can't even hold back the church growth, empowered by the Holy Spirit, not by uh, immaculate preaching by some pastor, not by uh, the wise teaching of a man, but it will not be held back because of the power of the Holy Spirit. We have been commanded to go, and it's going to grow right here globally and in Greenville. I don't say this out of arrogance. I say this out of the authority given to me and to you by the power of Jesus. That he has given us the authority to be his witnesses everywhere. Everywhere. We're going to grow out, we're going to grow deep, we're going to grow young, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But, but what is the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit? Really, a better question is this. Who is the Holy Spirit? It's, it's a good question. I think it's a question that our church needs to wrestle with more. Uh, this week, I had lunch with a, a new friend. I'd never met him before. Uh, it was kind of one of those awkward situations. I just trusted that we were going to be able to figure out who one another was because we'd only talked on email to this point, and we set up a, 
a, a lunch meeting at Joe's. So I walked in there and I was only planning to see him. And so I scanned the restaurant quickly. If you've ever done this before, you're like, okay, who could fit the criteria? And there was no one there because everyone was in couples. And so I just kind of uh, went around the room and, and waited. And then this man came to me all of a sudden. He had, he had luckily brought his wife. And so I wasn't going to be identifying to him. Uh, and, and all of a sudden he says, are you Tyson by the, any chance? And I said, yes, uh, I, I'm looking for John. He says, well, I'm John. And, and so we got together. And in, uh, real quickly, he, he knew a lot more about our church than most people do when we have a, a normal first meeting. And he says, are you part of this church movement that does this, this, and this? And I said, yes, that's our history. Even though we're not a denomination, but we have this movement called the Restoration Movement that we flow from. And one of the things our movement has done, and I want to confess this to you just like I did my friend, we have sometimes overemphasized water baptism to the point where what we say is, as long as you're baptized, as long as you've been dunked, you're all good. Now, that's never the intention, but that's maybe how it feels. And we have emphasized that moment, which is a miraculous, beautiful moment as the end-all, be-all without confession, repentance, uh, and living with Christ, living for Him by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have made that the thing, what the world has said. And that's not true. That's not our desire. I said, that is one thing, though, that, that people have said. And the thing that we have not emphasized enough, if we have overemphasized baptism, is we have not emphasized enough the Holy Spirit. Are both beautiful? Absolutely. Are both of God? Absolutely. But there's more to the Christian life than being saved, because even in salvation, in Acts chapter 2, it says, when you're baptized, you will receive the gift of the Spirit. So who is the Spirit? It is a third part of the trinity uh the, the the trinity is the three concepts of god in one it is god the father god the the son and jesus and god the holy spirit and all three of those entities of god are perfect and all three of those entities have every essence of the other in them and they work beautifully together and we need to embrace the spirit because it's our gift it's a gift to be received unlike jesus so the holy spirit doesn't did not take on flesh one of the reasons we translate the Holy Spirit as a spirit is because it is spiritual. It is not flesh-based. It, it is not human form. The spirit is called spirit because it's non-material. It's not physical. It's invisible. It's a little harder to know. It's a little harder to see. But know this. Every place in God's word that I've recently studied, when the spirit is talked about, while it is not material, it is personal. You can know the spirit. You can have a deep relationship with the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit lives in you. Look, look, look what Jesus says in John 14. Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. He's talking about the Spirit. To be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Jesus is even dealing with, hey, the world's not going to get this because it can't see him. It can't feel him. You know him, though, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus says, I'm going to give you a helper that you will be with forever, wherever you go. And that's even better than me. Jesus says, this is so important because uh, we have had this great relationship. He's talking to the disciples at this point, who he's been with for three years. They've hung out. They've ate together. They've played games. They've talked. They've, they've shared life. He says, but I'm going to go away, and I'm going to send you a helper that will go with you everywhere, even when I'm not. It's so amazing. He says, I want you to know him, and you can know him personally. 
So here's a truth takeaway from the Spirit. If you hear one thing today, take this away. The Holy Spirit will be with you and in you wherever you go. So what does that mean? You're never alone. There's nowhere you can go. There's nowhere anyone can take you in this world where you're alone and divided from the Holy Spirit. He is with you. You're never alone. He's a helper to encourage you. Somebody say, well, how, how good is he? How, how great can this Holy Spirit be? If you have to ask right now, he's better than you think. He's better than I can explain with my words. He, he's, he's better than, than our brains can understand by uh, qualifications and descriptions. The Holy Spirit is amazing. This week I asked on social media, I said, when has a time when the Holy Spirit has blessed you or helped you, uh, not only that you've experienced, but you know you've seen evidence in God's word, and quickly uh, tens uh, of 20 different people said, hey, this is how the Holy Spirit has blessed me. Great testimony. Uh, a few people have said, I can't even begin to articulate. I don't have enough time. There's not enough words to begin to explain how the Holy Spirit has blessed me. They shared things like this. He's been my helper. He's been my support. He's been my comfort, my peace. He's empowered me. He's given me words. He's led me at times in literally the same manner that Jesus would if he was with you. The Holy Spirit is really like having Jesus in the flesh with you all the time. That's the power that he has to protect and provide and to help. Today, I want to share with you just some real specific things the Holy Spirit has done that I heard in these testimonies that I see in the Word. The first is this. He is our guide. He leads us. He really does. I believe he's leading me now. He leads the, the praise team. He can lead you in, in the most extravagant thing to, to the, the most seemingly uh, uh, small thing. He can lead us. He led Jesus. The Word of God says, and the Spirit led Jesus. If he can lead Jesus, I know he can lead me, and he will. Look what it says in Isaiah 11. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. He's talking about the future of what the Spirit's going to do. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and, and the fear of the Lord. There are times when the Spirit, the greatest thing he can do is give me a reverence of God. Not that he leads me to be afraid of God where I run and hide, but there's times whenever he reminds me uh, as a husband, as a man, as a pastor, I can't do this on my own, just like we're talking about. I can't, but he promised that he will and he can. There's times when he, he just reminds me that, that he has a knowledge and a counsel for me that I can trust. Look what Jesus says about this same truth. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will guide you. He really will. So if you've never experienced the guidance of the Holy Spirit, let me just give you this advice. Ask him to guide you. Ask him to, to lead you. Here, here's the thing. We can know him personally. A lot of people want the power of the Spirit. They want to feel the presence, but they don't want to take time to get to know him personally. Invite him to personally be in your life, in your heart. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, lead me with your Holy Spirit. Do that now. Do that this afternoon. Do that daily. In, in your darkest hour, say, Father, I need to be led by your Spirit, and he will lead you. He will guide you, and you can trust him. I'll tell you this, uh, there's a few people that I trust with complete, I mean, it's a handful. I, I would not doubt it all. One of them was Tiffany, my wife. 
my parents, you know, there's just some people, but those people, Tiffany and even my parents, there have been times when they've let me down. I, I, it's not on any big thing. I have no grievance about that, but they have let me down. They've given me some bad advice at times. You know what? The Holy Spirit has never misled me. The Holy Spirit has never let me down. And, and the more I trust him, uh, the more he's willing to guide me. Just this week, I was looking for an opportunity. I was praying about an opportunity uh, to minister to a family, just to love on them, to pray for them. And, and you know, when somebody's hurting, you don't want to be overbearing. You don't want to seem especially like a weirdo pastor. And, and so then I became a weirdo pastor. Here's what happened. I saw this guy working out in the field here in Greenville. I dropped my kids off school and, and I saw him from a distance and I just shut my car down. I got off the edge of the road a little bit, but not very much, to be honest. And I hit the, 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 the hazards and I just kind of ran to this guy and gave him a hug and we prayed and we had like five, six, seven minutes of, of just being together and me encouraging him. I did not do that based on thinking that was the cool thing to do. I did that led by the Holy Spirit and it was powerful. I apologize if you were a bus driver or a school uh, parent trying to get your kids to school because I made chaos with the Crown Vic right in the middle of everything out there. But I thank God that he led me to do something that mattered. And I thank, I thank him that he guides me. And in that, he, he can give us comfort. He can be our intercessor. Here, here's the second thing, that he will be our intercessor. Look what the scripture says in Romans 8. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. And he searches our hearts and knows the minds of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people for you, not just pastors, but for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So here's what it's saying. Hear this. When you don't know what to say, when you don't know what to pray, and you're open to the Spirit, He prays on your behalf continually. I think it intensifies when we know we don't know what to say, and we're humble enough to, to maybe get on our knees and to stop for a moment and say, I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I don't know what to do. And the Holy Spirit begins to intercede for us with great intensity. It happened yesterday. I was working at home uh, trimming trees. You might be able to tell by the injury on my forehead, okay? I didn't meet a bobcat or anything. It's just a branch, all right? But I'm out there working, trimming trees, and I get this phone call. Uh, another one of our families, tragic situation. And I'm like, man, my heart's broken for them because they've went through so much. And, and as a parent, uh, my heart just dropped. And, and I began to move to the hospital because that's where I knew they were. But just for a moment, I just stopped and like, God, I don't know what I'm going to say when I get there. You're going to have to help. And I was just silent for a moment. And he gave me some comfort. And I began to move and he interceded on my behalf, and I believe on the behalf of the family. And you know what flowed out of that more than anything was comfort and peace. Here's the next thing he can provide. Not only does he pray for us, but he, he's our comforter. Look what Jesus says. He says, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. He goes, it's on your behalf. It's in your best interest that I leave this place, that I go into heaven. Why? If I go away, for if I do not go away, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Jesus says, hey, the best thing that could happen right now, since I already died, I've done my job. I died for your sins. I, I defeated death and I defeated, defeated sin. Your forgiveness is secure. The best thing that can happen for the church to grow throughout the world is the Comforter come, the Holy Spirit come. So Jesus ascended to heaven, and the Holy Spirit is available to all of us all at once. 
And here's the cool part. He can be with all of us all at once. Uh, During the times when Jesus was on earth, there were times, especially after his resurrection, that he just kind of appeared to people in random places. But still, at that point, as a physical person, he was only with one person at one time. Uh, All of a sudden, he appeared to those at the road to Emmaus, but but then when he left them, then he could go somewhere else. But he was still limited, even as Jesus, by his physical body. The Holy Spirit is not limited. He could be anywhere all the time. So whenever you're struggling at work, he can be with me to help witness to someone. Or, or when you're sick in the hospital, he can be with you, and he can be with your child on the interstate. The Holy Spirit is comforting us all at once, all the time. Look what it says in Acts 9 about this comfort. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. It was growing and walking in the fear of the Lord, this understanding that we need the Holy Spirit and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Here, here's what gets me excited. When we're walking in step with the Spirit, the church doesn't, just doesn't grow one person at a time. There's going to be a time, and it's happened in the past, it's going to happen again, that the church explode with multiplication because we're walking in step with the Spirit. He's giving us peace. He's giving us comfort. I believe there's a time before Jesus returns that there's going to be a great awakening of the church again, and it's going to multiply like never before. Jesus said it. He said, uh, it, when I leave and the Holy Spirit comes, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this, he says, there's going to be a time when you, his church, do greater things than even Jesus did on earth. I don't, I don't think we've seen that quite yet. I think there's going to be a time when such great miracles of movement of salvation and the church multiplies so much, we're going to know it's Christ working in us through the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's coming. The church multiplied. It's going to multiply again through the power of the Spirit. Because here's the last thing I want to share with you, because the Spirit is all about Christ. He empowers us not only to be comforted, to intercede us, to guide us, but He empowers us to make Jesus famous. Look what it says here in John 15. Jesus says, I will send you the advocate of the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the father and will testify about me. Look what it says in verse chapter 16. Jesus says, he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Please hear this. What the Spirit is all about and what it's always been about is making much of God and Jesus. The Spirit is like the greatest hype man of all time, promoting, uh, prompting, praising, bringing glory to Jesus. So if you want to be in step with the Spirit, you got to be humble. you got to realize you can't do it. you got to receive Him. But one thing, a key ingredient to be in step with the Spirit is proclaiming Christ. It's proclaiming Jesus. You will greatly limit your ability to be empowered by the Spirit if your focus is not about Jesus. When we're focused on Jesus, the Spirit pours on the power. The Holy Spirit's goal is to proclaim Jesus, to testify about Jesus, to bring glory to Jesus. And you're like, "Ah, I I can do a lot of the other stuff, but when it comes to testifying about Jesus, I'm out. Well, then the Holy Spirit's going to be limited in your life. Look what Jesus says about this in Luke 12. He says, I tell you the truth. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, the Son of Man, will also acknowledge in the presence of God's angels. He said, I'm going to acknowledge you in heaven. But anyone who denies me here on earth will be denied before God's angels in heaven. So here's what Jesus is saying. If we speak of Jesus on earth, he's going to speak of us in heaven before the Father. If we deny Jesus on earth, he's going to deny us in heaven. 
Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven. So you can say something against Jesus at some point in your life or disown Jesus, and, and you can be forgiven. But notice this next point about the Holy Spirit. This came to me. It's not in my notes, but I emphasized it first service. I want to emphasize it now. But anyone who blasphemies, the Holy Spirit cannot be forgiven. If you're ignoring the Holy Spirit to the point you begin to deny him, denounce him, declare him as foolish, uh, uh, to to get to the point where you want nothing to do with him and you're vocal about it, uh, there is something that happens within our spirit that makes us not even available uh, for the Spirit to reach us anymore, and we're lost forever. There could be times when you do this against Jesus, and and there's always an ability to come back to him. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit can still work in your life. But when you say, to hell with the Holy Spirit, I can do what I want, you know what happens? Your heart is broke, its heart is lost, and you are without hope. And some of you are like, man, I wonder if I've done that. I worry if my friends have done that. Here's what I would say to you. If you're at all concerned that you've done that and you're wishing you weren't, you haven't done it because the Holy Spirit is working in you right now to be drawn back to Jesus. But if you've heard these words and you're like, yeah, I'm done with that. I'm very concerned that you have slipped into the fact that the Holy Spirit's not even touching your heart anymore. Because the Word of God here says you you can deny Jesus and be forgiven, but if you denounce, if you speak against the Holy Spirit, what becomes so difficult is He's no longer reaching your heart. So hear this. If, If you're in this battle right now, but you hear the Holy Spirit calling you, don't push it off. Receive Jesus today. Begin to proclaim Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit uh, touch your heart. Let, let him strengthen uh, what, what, you're, what you're doing. Look, look what it says. The, the text goes on to say this, and we're almost done. And when you're brought to trial, when you have problems in the synagogues and before rulers, if this world tries to beat you up, if the authorities of this world want to put you down, don't worry about how you defend yourself or what to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. Here's the bottom line. The Holy Spirit can give you the words and wisdom no matter what you face but you got to be open to him. So ask him right now for the words in your life. I'm going to be honest with you right now. There are times when what I've said as a pastor and a person trying to represent Christ can seem superficial because I'm trying to do it on my own. I can't do it on my own. But God says he will and he'll never leave me to do it on my own if I'll receive him. There are times though when I'm open to the Holy Spirit and he gives me the exact thing to say. And he'll do that for you as well. At just the right time, he'll he'll tell you what needs to be said for his glory. But we must align with his will and make his last command our first priority to share his hope with the world. Because time is short. I've been with you almost six years now as your pastor, and we went through a lot together. And time is short. I sense this. I don't want to get into the debate like the disciples want to do here. Is now the time Jesus is going to return? He, he says, hey, just remember, I think what he's telling us, remember the Holy Spirit's in you. Make much of me. Make me famous. Share the good news. But, but I am convinced that the time is becoming short. It's ticking away. I don't think we've got another six years. If I was going to be honest based on what I see, we may not even have six days. So is our first priority what he's told us to do? To make him famous. Sometimes I need a good reminder that time is short, that time is ticking away. This week I went trout fishing in Missouri with some friends. 
And, and I don't know if you've ever done this, you've got to go to like the game wardens that are at the end of this long building, uh, the, this place we went, and they're there waiting to evaluate if you're worthy to catch trout. By the way, I caught zero. But I'm, I'm buying the, the, the tag to be able to fish for the trout. And so he says, uh, ID, please. So I pulled out my driver's license identification. He's looking it over. He says, social security number. I was like, man, these trout are like official business, Okay. So then he, I'm a minute into this. I'm like, am I going to pass the qualification? Time's ticking away. Hey, we've driven four hours to be here. The time's short. Let's get going. And he's looking at my card. He holds it up right, right in front of my face. He's looking at me like this. And he's like, oh, the card. And he looks at me, brown hair. He goes, this card says you have brown hair. Hmm. <laughs> I was like, it's graying. I know it's graying. He ended up awarding me the tag. But it was a reminder, once again, that time is ticking away. Not only for fishing, but most importantly for, for witnessing to the gospel. Time is short. Don't be distracted by lesser things. I'm all for trout fishing. I'm all for sports. I'm, I'm all for uh, hobbies. But when push comes to shove, our time is short. And if we made Christ's last command, our first priority to give hope to the world through Jesus and bring salvation to the lost. Know this. Be encouraged by this. We are the presence of Christ in the world today. And because we have Christ living us through the power of the Holy Spirit, nothing can hold us back from sharing the good news. Are you a part of that? When people look at you, do they see Jesus? I want to leave you with this. Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, this didn't matter to me. I don't have the Holy Spirit. And you may not. You know why? Because you've not accepted Jesus as your Savior. The Bible promises us that when we confess uh, uh, that He is our Lord and we repent of our sins and we're baptized... Two things will happen. Our sins will be forgiven and we will receive the gift of the Spirit. So today, if you've realized you've, you've heard someone proclaim Jesus, maybe you've heard it from me today and you're ready to receive him, please come forward during the song. But I would know the majority of you, I pray, are being convicted by the Holy Spirit to, to speak about Jesus more and more and more. Make him famous for his glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for today. I pray that we would make you famous. We, we, we acknowledge you're the most famous person that's ever been there, ever will be, but help us to, to bring your renown to, to more and more acknowledgement. Help us to bring glorification to you perfectly on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you stand with us as we sing? If you have a decision to make, please come forward.